The following message is brought to you by New Song Church and Pastor Joshua Blunt in Oklahoma City, Oklahoma. For more information on New Song, visit us online at newsongpeople.com. to leave with fresh vision, ideas, and a new passion for the most important aspect of parenting, which is training our kids in the way. Um, So we're going to kind of do this in two parts. Part one is going to be um, super teachy, and then part two is going to be super practical. So part one, part two. Um, In your notes, you'll see there's lots of space in between each section because I just wanted to give you guys room to write your own notes and not like have it all laid out for you, um, or you'd have like... 25 pages there. So um, just feel free to use those spaces. That's what they're there for. Um, And yeah, so first of all, thanks again for being here. This is an investment, especially any Tuesday night for anyone, no matter what season of life you're in, is just, it's busy. Your, Your weekdays are busy. Your weekdays, there's a lot going on. So it's great. I'm proud of you for being here tonight, investing in your family and your future family. I just think that's awesome. So I applaud you guys for being here. Um, and before we get into the teachy teachy, I want to share just a little bit of my personal parenting journey. You guys know we have three. Most of you know we have three. I mentioned Gus. He's 13. Uh, Bo is 10, my daughter. And then my youngest, Sunny, is eight. And I became a mom when I was 23 years old, May 20th, 2008. Gus made his debut. Nine pounds, two ounces, face up, like ready. So characteristic of Gus of like, I want to know what's going on. I don't want to miss anything. And um, in that moment, like my greatest prayer ever, like it was a reality. Like I was a mom, like that's what I wanted. Um, All of my friends getting ready to go to college. I just wanted to be a mom. I couldn't wait to be a mom. Um, So he showed up 23 years old. I'm excited. It's an answer to prayer. Uh, Josh and I have been married five years at this point. We're living in Tulsa. Uh, We're working for Josh's parents, Ken and Trudy, who are teaching the marriage class tonight. Uh, We're working for their ministry. It was a very hidden season for us. Um, We knew that God had called Josh to be pastor, but we didn't know when. We didn't know where. We didn't know how. Uh, We just knew, and it was kind of in the back of our minds, like someday, somehow this will happen. But when we had Gus, it was just us and Gus in Tulsa in a very hidden season. I wasn't preaching. I wasn't teaching um, or writing or doing anything. I was working for their ministry, but as an administrator, like itineraries and keeping their books and um, like helping schedule their plane tickets and stuff like that. And I was so happy to do that. It was a great setup. I could work from home, stay home with Gus. Um, But I I had no preaching, teaching call on my life. Like Josh had this moment at kids camp where he was called into ministry. I never had that moment, still haven't had that moment. It's just been like little steps of obedience um, that have led me here, which that's kind of another equip class. Um, so I wasn't teaching. I wasn't preaching. Uh, I had no aspirations for for uh, ministry at that time. I was just happy to be a mom and to be doing the administrative things that I was doing for Ken and Trudy. I did have two goals um, when when I had Gus. Goal number one was get this kid on an airtight feed, wake, sleep schedule. Someone gave me baby wise and I was like, we're doing this. And so that was my first goal. And my second goal was to be this kid's best teacher. 
And I went to work on those goals. Like some people have goals of like, we're going to eat all organic, all healthy. We're going to do things all natural, all homeopathic. Like those are some goals that people have, natural birth, whatever. My goals were feed, wake, sleep, and be this kid's best teacher. And I started to work on those goals. Like before Gus was born, like as soon as I found out he was pregnant, six weeks old, I'm going to Barnes and Noble and buying baby books, like not like how to be a good mom, but like picture books for babies. And I'm reading them to him when he's like in utero, probably doesn't even have ears yet, can't hear, but I'm, I, I just wanted to teach him. Like I wanted to teach him everything I knew. Like I wanted to teach him ABCs. I wanted to teach him um, how to do stacking rings and how to say data and how to walk and how to talk. I just wanted to teach him everything. And I started as soon as I found out I was pregnant. And then I have pictures of myself when he's like four days old and I'm in this crazy, huge t-shirt bun, like look tired and just like I got hit by a truck. And But I'm holding him and he's tiny and I'm reading Goodnight Moon to him. Like he knows what's going on. He has no idea. But I just had this desire to teach. So I didn't have aspirations to preach or teach or lead a church, but I did have this desire to teach and pastor this little baby. Um, and I didn't have any training. I didn't have a seminary degree or anything like that. I wasn't qualified. No one would say that I was qualified to be a Bible teacher. Um, but I just knew that I loved Jesus and that he had rescued me and they saved Josh and I in our marriage. And he was so real to me. And I just wanted to teach this little baby everything that I knew about Jesus. And so, um, I just believed God could use me like this ordinary girl, 23 year old in Tulsa. Nobody knows me. Um, but I see in scripture that we're supposed to train up our kids in the way that they should go. And so if God commanded me to do that, then I knew that he would use me to do it. And so I just started to do it. I had books for like the sleep training goal, but I had no books um, for this teaching my kids to practice the way of Jesus aside from the Bible. Um, so I just kind of did what I thought might be best. And I let the Holy Spirit guide me. Um, you have to remember at this time in 2008, there were like no super moms to follow on Instagram. Like there was no Etsy. Um, there was no one to like perform for or cheer for. Like, look how, how, like what a great mom I am. No, like real support system. Like, I don't, I don't know if that was a thing. It wasn't a thing in the church that I was growing up in or that I was at at the time. Um, there wasn't an audience to cheer me on. There wasn't like likes to motivate me. It was just like, this hidden season, but it was the best season because it produced like this pure passion for parenting. It wasn't based on what else I was seeing or comparing myself to anybody else or trying to live up. To, it was just this place of pure parenting, parenting for the glory of God. Like it wasn't about likes. It wasn't about audience. Um, all we cared about was honoring God and glorifying Him and obeying the commands to sharpen our kids, to train up our kids in the way that they should go. Um, to water these little olive plants around our table to sharpen our arrows. It, that's, it was just pure. It was me and Josh and Gus and Jesus. There was no ulterior motives. It was just deciding like this little ground, our little house, our starter home on Brookside and Tulsa, that it was holy ground because we're going to be training our kids here to live and love for Jesus um, or to love and live for Jesus. So why am I telling you all of this? Because I think sometimes when you hear people, pastors especially, talk about raising kids um, or parenting, it's easy to think, well, you can do that because you're a pastor and you know stuff about the word and that's what you do for your vocation. So you're qualified to do this, but I'm a 
FedEx driver or I am a physical therapist or I am a engineer, whatever. Um, so this works for you, but this doesn't really apply to me. I want you to, to hear me tonight. Like before the call to shepherd or pastor a church, before that was ever in the picture, I'm telling you all this so it could take you back to where I was when this started. I didn't have the title of pastor or shepherd. And that title doesn't matter when it comes to raising our kids. The only title that we need to be a pastor shepherd to our children is mom or dad. That's the only title that you need to qualify you to train your kids in the way that they should go. Those six years when I was training Gus, those six years when by title I was just an administrative assistant, it was during those six years that I preached the most important, the most um the most, how, how did I say it? The most, um, just the best and the most important pastoring that I would ever do was in those six years before I had the title of pastor or even knew God had a call on my life to be a pastor. It was in that time when I was administrative assistant by vocation, but God had called me to be a shepherd pastor to my kids. Like the best messages I preached were on a I told Josh, I was like, I'm going to cry through this so many times because it's so, it's so sacred to me, but was on the playroom rug. Those were the best messages I preached with an audience of four, Gus, Bo, Sonny, and the Lord. So I want you to, to know you don't have to be a pastor or a minister or even be in ministry by vocation to really take up this mantle of shepherd, pastor, parent teaching your kids to practice the way of Jesus to love Jesus. So write it down in your notes. The only title I need to help my kids practice the way of Jesus is mom or dad, mom or dad. That's it. You can do this. God's called you to do it. When he's called you to do something, he equips you to do something. Um, so lean on him, rely on the Holy Spirit to help you do this. Uh, I'm going to pray, and then we're going to get into the word, the teachy, teachy part, all right? Lord, I thank you for this group of parents, future parents, current parents, God, that are gathered here tonight. I thank you that you have called us to train our kids in the way that they should go, that you um, equip those that you call. And so I thank you that right now you just begin to um, help people to really step into this, any hesitancy, any doubts they've had, um, any uh, or maybe misunderstandings about whose job it is to train their kids, whatever that looks like, I pray that you would just begin to give them revelation of parenting, of of um, raising kids to follow Jesus, begin to stir in them a passion. I, I, I pray that, that you would ignite a flame in their hearts, God, tonight for parenting, that they would leave here refreshed and that they would leave here excited um, about the most important title um, of their lives right now. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so we're going to look at a couple of scriptures tonight and get your clipboards ready because I'm going to have you underline, write, arrows, all that stuff, okay? So let's look at the first one together, Deuteronomy 6, 5 through 9. It says, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart with all your soul, with all your might. And these words, somebody underline these words, these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. Now get ready to underline this. You shall teach them diligently to your children. 
Underline that whole phrase. You shall teach them diligently to your children. What are we supposed to teach diligently to our children? These words. Okay, what words? Go back to the beginning. You can draw an arrow from these words to verse number five, the very first verse. These words, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. It's these words, those words that we're to teach diligently to our children. Now, I want you to circle the word diligently because this is really important. We're going to come back to it in just a second after we finish reading the verse. It says, and you shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorpost of your house and on your gates. So we're going to teach these words, love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, and your might. We're going to teach them diligently to our children. This is like practicing the way of Jesus for Kids 101. It's diligently teach your kids to love the Lord with all they got. That's it. We're teaching them to love. If you're, if you're going to sum up how to teach your kids to practice the way of Jesus, you, in one sentence, it's right there. Diligently teach them to love God with everything that they have, with all they got. So let's go back to this word diligently. I had you circle it. Um, this is an intense word. When you look it up in the Strong's Concordance, um, it means to sharpen a weapon so that it's strong enough to pierce through something. That, that, that's like an intentional sharpening. Like it, there's, it's a purposeful sharpening. You are sharpening this weapon so that it is actually able to pierce through something. So this is the call to parents to diligently teach. So what does that mean? Why, why are they using that word diligently there? It's because we're to sharpen God's word. We're to sharpen God's word so that it can pierce the hearts and minds of our children. So that it can break through. Like we're wanting it to break through something. We're sharpening the word of God so that it can break through the lies of the enemy. So that it can break through the patterns of the world. So that it can break through into their hearts and find a, a place to hide, a, a hiding place in their heart. So diligently means to sharpen a weapon so it's sharp enough to pierce through something. So we all know God's word is sharp on its own. The Bible says uh, that the Word of God is sharper than any two-edged sword. On its own, it's sharp. But there's something about us as parents when we come alongside our kids and we diligently teach them that we're making it even sharper for them so that it penetrates, so that it can break through and pierce their hearts and minds. So um, they can actually understand it, and so they can begin to apply it in their lives. My kids can read the Word uh, on their own. They can read a verse like, uh, we live and move and have our being in Christ. And that can, like, that's sharp on its own. But when mom and dad come alongside and we teach them what that actually means, and when we help them memorize it, and when we pray it over them, um, it's us coming alongside and making it even sharper so that it gets down deeper into their heart. So it's, there's an intentionality and a, uh, such a, a purpose when we're teaching our kids the word of God. We're, we're not just like, oh, I, I'm hoping this sticks. Um, it's like, no, I'm hoping that this actually pierces your soul and pierces your heart. I'm going to teach it to you in a way that you get it, that it sticks with you for the rest of your life, that you hide it away in your heart. So as parents, we're called to sharpen, to diligently teach God's word so that it can pierce the souls of our children. So maybe you're thinking, well, that's Old Testament, Deuteronomy. 
what, what about the New Testament? What does the New Testament say? The New Testament says the same thing. Jesus actually reinforces how important these words, remember it says teach these words to your children. He reinforces how important these words or those words are. In Matthew 22, he says, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. So if Jesus is saying this is the great commandment, this is the first commandment, this is what I want my kids to leave home knowing and understanding. So Jesus is just reinforcing how important it is to teach these words to our kids. Now, I want to look at another scripture about parenting. It says in Ephesians 6, 4, you have it there in your notes. It says, fathers, do not provoke your children to anger. And there's a lot tied up in this word anger or wrath. Do not exasperate them to the point of resentment with demands that are trivial or unreasonable or humiliating or abusive, nor by showing favoritism or indifference to any of them, but bring them up tenderly with loving kindness in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. That's the amplified version. Just a regular ESV is do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and the instruction of the Lord. Now, when we think of parenting, when we think of New Testament parenting, when we think of Christian parenting, when we think of this verse, a lot of times, because this is how we've just been conditioned, um, a lot of times we just automatically go to discipline. Like Christian parenting is about discipline. Discipline and Christian parenting is about spanking. It's about quiet time. It's about grounding. It's about being really strict. It's about um, rules and regulations. Um, but there's more to Christian parenting than spanking. There's kind of this understanding of if you just spank your kids um, and you do it the right way and you use a spoon instead of your hands, then they'll turn out okay. But there's more to Christian parenting than discipline. But we see this and we just, it's just about discipline. It's about discipline. Um, but instead of noticing and majoring on discipline in this verse, we need to notice first things first. And if you look at the verse, um, the first bit is not about disciplining our kids. It's about disciplining ourselves. This is what, what parenting is about. It's about disciplining ourselves. It says, fathers, do not provoke your children to anger. Now, to be a parent that can do this, that can instruct and discipline and bring your kids up in the instruction of the Lord and to be able to do it without angering them, driving them to wrath, causing them to resent you, you're going to have to be somebody who's disciplined yourself. You're going to have to discipline yourself. You're going to have to practice the way of Jesus yourself. You're going to have to um, engage in daily training and practicing spiritual disciplines and exercising unto godliness. Uh, we talked about this at Blocks Conference. Was anybody did, has everybody heard the Blocks Conference um, first night? The message I preached on practicing the way of Jesus. Okay, that's good because a lot of this is building off of that message. If you haven't heard it, go back and listen to it. Um, but I talked about in that message about spiritual disciplines, and here's the definition. I put it there in your notes for a refresher. It's a discipline or a discipline for the spiritual life is an activity, something that you do. It's an activity undertaken to make us capable of receiving more of God's life and more of God's power. So activities like daily study of the word, time communicating with God, um, disciplines like gathering with other believers, disciplines like fasting and worship, 
getting away, like moments of solitude and silence so you can really connect with the heart of God. Um, when we uh, when we undertake activities like this, it opens us up to more of God's power, to more of God's life. And what happens is when we begin to practice these disciplines regularly, then it puts us in a place where we can now do those things that we read about in Scripture and we're like, Psh, that's never going to happen like praying for our enemies or like praying without ceasing or loving our neighbors or like this, raising our kids up without provoking them to anger or wrath. Like how can I discipline and instruct my kids in, in, in a way that they grow up and they're not angry with me or they don't resent me or uh, they I, I'm not putting these trivial demands on them or I'm not um, messing them up, you know? Uh, the way that we do that is through the spiritual disciplines, when we when we open ourselves up, when we uh, inwardly poise ourselves for more and more interaction with the spirit of the living God, saying like, I don't know what I'm doing and I need your help and I'm going to get in your word and I'm going to practice these disciplines. I'm going to be disciplined myself um, because that is the first key to parenting. Then we become able to do the things that in scripture Jesus models and commands for us to do because we are training. Um, and and it's it's it, it becomes more than just like, okay, I'm not provoking them. I'm not going to provoke them to wrath. It, it becomes where they're actually standing before you and calling you blessed um, as they grow older and not saying like, I am the way that I am because of what they're saying. I call my mom blessed. Like I call my dad blessed. I stand before you and I say, you helped form me. You helped shape me. I am who I am. I'm the man that I am. I'm the woman that I am because of you. And that's only possible if we are disciplining ourselves. So I think this is in your notes, but if not, you can write it down. Christian parenting is not just about disciplining your kids. It's about being a disciplined parent engaging in spiritual activities so we're capable of receiving more of God's life and more of his power, and we can actually parent like he parents us. I want you to think about this. Um, when God has disciplined you, and he has and he will because he disciplines those that he loves, um, when he's disciplined you and have to instruct you on something, have you ever like walked away angry? Like, oh, I'm so mad at God. Like, he's not... He's never, I've searched my heart. He's never provoked me to anger. He's never provoked me to wrath. That's why he can tell us that we're to discipline and bring our kids up without provoking them to anger. It's a model of how he, Abba Father, fathers us. And I think the reason that we we never feel angry after he deals with us is because when he deals with us, we don't feel anger from him. It's not like, oh, Sarah, I can't believe you did that. I'm so mad at you. You're so frustrating. It's more of like, oh little daughter, like, I love you and I've called you and I've set you apart and there's paths of righteousness that I want you to walk on and you're not walking on those paths. And here, let me pick you up and help you and restore you and and get you back on that path of righteousness. And you leave from that interaction and you just feel so loved and cared for and seen. And it's instead of provoking us to wrath, it's provoking us to repentance and to want to follow after him. So um, it, it we see a model for how to discipline and instruct just in the way that he instructs and loves and corrects us. Um, I read through, as we were reading through John in the Being Transformed journal, one of the things that really stuck out to me is where it talked about Jesus being troubled, like greatly troubled about what Jesus was about to do. And 
it's just interesting that he was so troubled that John could see it on him. Like in his disposition, he let out a sigh, like his shoulders slumped, like he was troubled because Judas was about to reject his love and betray him. And we see in that Jesus wasn't angry, but he was troubled. And as parents, that's that's a good thing to understand. Like our kids can see that we're troubled. I'm not saying like your kids are never going to do things that break your heart and that cause you to feel deeply troubled like Jesus felt deeply troubled. And it's okay for them to see that. Like John's, Jesus wasn't trying to hide it. Like it's fine. It's fine. It's fine. You're you like he showed he was deeply troubled. Your kids need to see that when they upset you, they can see it in your body language. They can see like eye contact where you're like, like that really, that that's really disappointing. Like that you would act like they can see that that you are disappointed, that you are greatly troubled. There's a difference between anger and having a short temper and flying off the handle and like them seeing that your spirit is grieved because they are um, not practicing the way of Jesus. Um, and, And they're able to tell the difference between anger and troubled and how we respond in those situations where they have troubled us. Um, how we respond affects how they respond. When I'm angry, I make my kids angry. And it takes a lot longer for me to bring them up. A lot I'm called to do, I'm called to bring them up. And it takes a lot longer to get them where they need to be when I'm angry and they're angry. And I'm acting uh, from my flesh instead of out of my spirit. Um, But when they see I'm troubled, when they see I'm hurt by their actions, but I'm still able to stay calm and tenderhearted in that moment, not because I'm uh, such a great person, but because I have been training, I have been with the Lord, I have been in prayer, I have been seeking God, so I can stay calm and tenderhearted. Um, then I can bring them up to where they need to be quicker and more effectively, and the fruit is much longer lasting. So it's not just about disciplining our kids. It's about being a spiritually disciplined parent. If you're not practicing the way of Jesus, but you're trying to get your kids to practice the way of Jesus— You will exasperate them to the point of resentment with demands that are trivial or unreasonable or hypocritical, humiliating or abusive. You will provoke them to anger, which is the opposite of what God has commanded us to do. So we've got to be thinking this way, like it's about me and my heart position and my walk with God. Am I practicing the way of Jesus? Am I asking them to do something that I'm not doing myself? Like they see and pick up on these things. Um, Okay, so now that we know that this verse isn't just about spanking and grounding and discipline um, and the way that we have been, uh, uh, what's the word? Conditioned Conditioned, um, to see it. Okay, so let's look at the rest of the verse. Do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and the instruction of the Lord. Okay, we're going to do some more underlining and circling here. I want you to circle the word discipline, and I want you to uh, circle the word instruction. And we're going to break these words super down. Okay, if this class started at 6.30, and it's 90 minutes long, it's going to be over at what time, guys? Eight. Okay. All right. There we go. Eight o'clock. Okay. I was supposed to start a timer, and I just forgot. Um, Okay, so circle the words discipline, and circle the words instruction, We're going to break them down. We're going to start with the word discipline. We're supposed to bring them up in the discipline. 
Now, discipline, again, when you look at the original word, when you look at Strong's Concordance, these are the things that this kind of comes back to. The two major themes within this word discipline are instruction and nurturing. Instruction is to teach orally, to inform, to instruct. Nurturing is correction that regulates Christ-like character. It's correction to make Christ-like character a regular, a routine, routinely doing what Jesus said was best. So we're called to bring our kids up in these things, instruction and nurturing. So let's talk about it. Now, both require the use of words. If you're going to instruct somebody, you've got to use your words. And a lot of people will say things like, well, Kids don't do what you say, they do what they see or what they what they see you do. Um, and there's truth in that. They need to see you practicing the way of Jesus. But I don't like that statement because I think that it discounts the importance of conversation, like actually talking and communicating with my kids. Like, oh, if I just, you know, am a nice person and they see me being a nice person, then they're just going to get it. That's not how it works. That's not instructing our kids. It says specifically instructing is to teach orally to inform to instruct. So we got to talk to our kids. We have to instruct, inform, and nurture them. And it involves having conversations with them, lots of conversations with them. Um, There's an author named Tom Kirsten. He's a family counselor and author. He says, the average American parent spends just three and a half minutes in meaningful conversation with their child per week, not per day like per week. And you're like, no, that's crazy. I don't believe it. Just look around. Like it, I know that stat, this, I found this stat several years ago when I was writing the book, The Fearless Parenting. I bet it's gone down. (laughs) Um, But you look around at restaurants and it's heartbreaking. Every kid, little kids, toddlers to teenagers, moms, dads, like they're out eating and watching Netflix at a restaurant. I'm like, can it not wait till you, like, it's heartbreaking. And then car rider line or whatever, there's movies on, there's parents are on their phone. It stopped like three and a half minutes a week. Do you know how many minutes are in a week? 10,080 minutes a week. And parents are spending three and a half minutes Um, for meaningful, instructing, informing, nurturing conversations. And this is why, if your kid's in public school, this is why we get emails saying, hey, parents, can you talk? Can you instruct your kids? Can you inform your kids that destroying public property on TikTok is not okay? And there's going to be consequences and it can go on their permanent record. They're having to ask parents to do this because parents aren't doing this. They are not sitting down and having conversations. They're not informing. They are not instructing. Um, They are not nurturing their kids. And so their kids don't even know how to be decent human beings at school in a public place. They don't know that it's not okay to destroy public property because people aren't showing them, talking to them about these things. And that's just decent human being behavior. This, I'm not talking about like fully formed follower of Jesus behavior. They're not even talking to them about just regular, we don't do this because this is wrong. Um, It's why 13-year-olds are sending nude pictures to losers on the internet. 
It's because their parents are not talking to them. They're not sitting down and informing them and instructing them and, and communicating with them. Like this device is dangerous and you don't need the approval of men. And just because everybody else is doing it, you don't have to do it. Like people aren't having those kind of conversations with their kids. Parents are afraid of being the mean mom, the uncool mom. Uh, I saw the other day, like we need more mean moms. Like. I, I had that that mom. She she um, I remember wanting to go to this stupid club. All my friends, all my whole cheerleading squad was going. We were like fifteen. I don't know how any other anybody else's mom was going, but my mom was the mean mom that would not let me go, and I did not like her for a minute. But I'm so glad. I'm so thankful. And then I had moms friends whose moms let them do whatever they wanted, and they would come over to my house and they would say, "I wish my mom was like your mom. I wish she." cared. I wish she cared. Um, so parents aren't sitting down with their their kids. They're not talking to them. They're not explaining the heart of God. They're not saying, hey, God has not called us for the purpose of impurity. Like we need to talk about this. Um, but he's called us to live a holy set apart life. And I know that this is popular and I know everybody else is doing it and it's normalized in our culture, but we're called to a higher standard. We're called to live holy and set apart. Um, parents aren't sitting down with their kids before they hand over their phones and, and access to all the 5G internet has to offer, and they're not informing them of like, what? how would Jesus interact with this phone if Jesus were me? Um, they also aren't sitting down with them and saying, here's the phone, but also you should know because I'm going to be not the mean mom, but I'm going to be the mom that cares that there is monitoring software on your phone. And it's taking a picture of your phone every five seconds. And I know who's texting you. I can see every keystroke. I can see every picture you take, every picture that comes to you. I can even hear the conversations that you're having. And I know where you're at at all times. I'm giving this to you. And I want you to know I'm doing this because I care way too much about you to just give you this and just let you go for it. You're not old enough. You're not mature enough. They're not having those conversations. Uh, my 13-year-old, he still doesn't have a phone. And he's been very understanding about it um, because we've taken the time to have these conversations to explain to him. It's not just like, no, you're not getting a phone. No, it's sitting down and sharing our heart with him, um, having many, many meaningful conversations about technology. Yes, he would like one. Yes, he and I think Isabella Lippert, who goes to New Song, they're like the only kids at their school that don't have them. Um, but he trusts us. He trusts us, like he's okay with it because we've taken this command to discipline and nurture our kids, to instruct them, inform them, to talk to them, to explain God's heart, um, to explain the ways of the world um, and to correct them. And so he gets it. Um, he, he is gonna get one when he's 14 next year for his birthday because we know he's ready, but there will be boundaries and there will be more than a three and a half minute conversation when we give it to him. There will be a conversation, there will be an explaining, and there will be many, many, many more conversations, not just about like pornography or, but just about the dangers of a phone and like how quickly you can become addicted to this and how this can become a coping mechanism and how this can take you away from the real world and how this can become a little G God in your life and it can become a stumbling block. Like we will go through all of these things with him. Um, now, I know uh, that, you know, we've been conditioned to think about spanking and timeouts and, and grounding and being super strict, um, but that's not what discipline's about. It's also not about, like, if I can just create this evil-free zone for my kid, like, just put them in this bubble, then I don't even have to worry about this, instructing and informing. Like, I can just say, 
you're going to go to Christian school. We're only going to have Christian friends. We're going to only listen to Caleb. We're going to watch Pure Flicks only, and or we're going to not let you have any friends. We're just we're just going to ignore everything. We're going to pretend that the world and the problems that the world have doesn't exist. This is not instructing or nurturing. It is ignoring and avoiding. It's the opposite of what God has called us to do. We're not called to ignore and to avoid. We're called to instruct and to nurture. Write it down. No ignoring, no avoiding. Um, Discipline is not just about the spankings and stuff. It's about being a good, loving communicator. Communicating with your kids, a good, loving communicator. It's about being a trustworthy teacher. It is about listening. It's about paying attention, taking the time to instruct and inform with care and gentleness. So this means we're going to have to remove statements, like I said so, from our vocabulary um, because it's not informing or instructing. It's just lazy. Like, no, because it said so. No, you're not old enough. No. Well, what do you mean I'm not old enough? Like, what? how old do I have to be? No, you can't date. No. Like, just no, no, no. Like, or because I said so. We're going to have to remove that. Um, because that's the kind of instructing. It's not even really instructing. It's the opposite of instructing, but it's the kind of thing that's just going to lead our kids to rebel. Yeah. Dallas Willard writes, I don't even know what he was writing this about. I just saw it on Instagram the other day. I think it's from a book about hearing God, but I was like, oh, that will preach on parenting. He says, commitment is not sustained. We want our kids to be committed to Christ, right? We want our kids to be committed to us, to love us, to honor us. Commitment is not sustained by confusion, but by insight. The person, your kids, the kid who is uninformed or confused will inevitably be unstable and vulnerable in action, thought, and feeling. We don't want our kids to be unstable, vulnerable in action, thought, and feeling. That's the worst. That's the worst thing that we could want for our kids um, or the last thing we could want for our kids. So it says that we have to, uh, if we want commitment, it's sustained by insight, by explaining, by communicating, instructing, and informing, not avoiding and not ignoring, but instructing and conforming. That, uh, that creates commitment. Um, and I know it's a lot of work. Like, I totally get it. I know that um, it's easier sometimes to, to just ignore and avoid. Um, but it's worth it in the long run to do this right now. Like, we have to remind ourselves, write it down. We're playing the long game. This is, we're, we're, this is the long game. Parenting is a long game. Like, it seems easier to just say because I said so. Or on the other hand, it seems easier to just be like, I don't want them to think I'm a jerk, so I don't feel comfortable about this sleepover, but go have the sleepover. Or I don't really want you sleeping in the middle of our bed every night, but it's just easier right now, so I'm just going to let you have what you want. Um, I'm going to give you this phone because I don't want to have to get you to sit down at a restaurant and practice self-control. This is easier. So we do these things because we, in the in the moment, it seems easier, but this isn't a moment thing. Like this isn't like in the moment. We're playing the long game. Your kids are eternals. They are eternal 
beings. What we're doing is like you will be gone and they will be here. And they are the legacy that you leave behind. Like we're playing the long game. It's not about just what's easiest in the moment. Um, let's see. This table is my notebook. is. I should have brought a computer. Anyways, um, but the lazy answers, like because I said so, uh, the avoiding of conflict, like just give in to what they want. Uh, avoiding of hard conversations uh, or avoiding the wickedness of the world, acting like it doesn't exist instead of explaining why it does and why it's heartbreaking to God. That's what we need to be doing. Um, all of this seems easier now, but if you will take the time and realize you're in the long game and purpose to instruct and inform and nurture and diligently teach them, um, even when it's inconvenient to you, here's what here's what happens. You'll be uh, able to avoid the really, really hard and heartbreaking rebellion that will come later that plagues so many Christian homes. Like put in the work now. I know it's hard now. And it's if you're short-sighted, then you'll just give in and be like, whatever you want, whatever's easiest in the moment, but don't be short-sighted because what you're doing right now will help you be able to avoid that rebellion where they walk away from God or they leave your house and they go crazy or whatever that looks like. Um, I would rather be informing and having those conversations over and over again right now with my kids instead of having to fight for their souls when they leave my house. Now, I'm not saying uh, that every Christian who has kids who are away from God like didn't do this. They didn't discipline. They didn't instruct. They didn't inform. That's not always the case. Like There are parents who did everything they knew to do biblically. Um, they, they raised their kids the right way, and their kids still stray. But at least those parents have this promise um, they purpose to diligently teach their children. So they have this promise that applies to them, which is Proverbs 22, 6, train up a child in the way that he should go. And even when he's old, he won't depart from it. This promise has a proviso. There's a terms and conditions. It doesn't apply to everybody. It only applies to people who have trained up their child in the way that they should go. And I don't think parents who are spending three and a half minutes a week in meaningful conversation with their children, they're not training. I mean, any anybody by any standard in any field would say that if you're spending three and a half minutes doing something, it's not training. And so this promise isn't going to apply to those people. Um, I want this promise to be applicable, applicable to every parent at New Song. And so that's why I'm here tonight, to teach you, to exhort you, to train your children, to love God, to obey God, to follow God, so that you can always claim this promise over your children. So dis discipline, it majors on two things, instruction and nurturing. So it says we're to bring up our kids in discipline and then an instruction. So instruction, when you look at this word and the strongs and you like, okay, what is this word? What's the meaning of this word? What's the theme of this word? It's two things, admonition, which is authoritative counsel or warning, and it's exhortation, which is to encourage, to make an up close and personal call up. So we're to teach, to train, to inform, to nurture. And then we're also called to counsel, to warn our kids and to encourage them to be up close and personal in their lives, knowing what's going on so that we can call them up. So God's given you authority over your kids, right? And that's a big deal. With great power comes great responsibility, right? So we've got a responsibility to counsel and to warn our kids. Now we're two for three now, both of our kids, when they are leaving that like elementary school age and going into intermediate school, like 
um, fourth grade to fifth grade for girls <laughs> and fifth grade to sixth grade for boys because girls mature a little bit, you become like a full-time counselor with your kids. Um, like every night, you're administering like 45-minute counseling sessions, um, usually at bedtime and a lot of times after bedtime. Like you have tucked them in, you have prayed, and now it's your bedtime. And 45 minutes later, somebody's standing at your door and they're needing a counseling session. Um, it's like all of a sudden, like 10, 11 years old, um, they've gone like 10 years without ever really worrying about a thing. And then all of a sudden, it's like their minds are expanding. Um, their innocence is, is, is uh, that, that innocence that they've had is kind of disappearing in some areas. Uh, their trust, their like just total trust is being challenged like never before. And so they start to worry. Like for the first time ever, they're dealing with like real worry um, about grades, about their friends at school, about having to leave home someday, about sickness, about death. Now I've got COVID, all this stuff, um, doubts about God. And so there's lots of bedside counseling, lots of your role as a parent, revealing lies of the enemy, um, exposing plots of the enemies, lots of prayer, lots of listening, lots of the same conversation over and over and over again. And it's like, we really had a breakthrough two nights ago. I thought that we did. I thought that it broke through. I thought that it pierced through, but it didn't. And so we're having to have this conversation again. You're their counselor. You're there to give advice and to administer warning. It's what God's called you to do, to bring them up in discipline and instruction. And instruction involves admonition, which involves counseling. So is your door open? Do your kids know that if they need a counseling session that they can come to you and that you're going to listen and walk them through whatever they're facing? Um, and I want you to not like, like that word counsel intimidate you. You don't have to have a degree. You don't have to have, like I said, no seminary degree required. Counseling your kids, when I say counseling your kids, admonishing your kids, it is giving them direction from God's word. That's what it is. It's like you see something, like you smell smoke, you see um, the warning, or, or you see that they need warning in an area. And then um, once you see the warning, being able to help them uh see what God's word says about that area. Um, so we admonish, we counsel our kids. We, when we see them uh, burdened with something, worried about something, we smell smoke. Hey, I can tell like the devil's got you under his thumb. Like you've lost a skip in your step. You have lost a twinkle in your eye. Like your heart doesn't seem light. It seems heavy. Like what's going on? I smell smoke. Like parents, <laughs> Great power comes great responsibility and also spidey senses. And so your spidey senses will start tingling and you have this discernment that nobody else has with your kids that like, I can discern something's going on with you. You can see it. You can talk about it. You could administer the warning and then you can administer the counsel. Like I see that you're heavy. God's word says that um, we're to cast our cares on him. So let's do that. Like, let's pray. Let's come together and let's cast it there. Let's leave it there. Like see yourself going to the throne, leaving that burden at the cross. So we, we warn and we counsel. And then, um, the other part of, uh, the other part of instruction is exhortation to encourage, to make an up close and personal call upward. 
So we are encouraging our kids in good behavior. We are encouraging our kids when we see them loving their neighbor, when we see them being selfless, when we see them in the word, when we see them obeying, when we see whatever we are encouraging them upward, like we see it, we celebrate it, we call it out. And we're also exhorting them and calling them upward when they, when they're not doing great and they need to be pulled up. Like I think a lot of times parents like want to cut down and they want to um, degrade or they want to shame or they want to guilt trip. But the word says we're to bring up. Like everything that we do as a parent is upward. We are to bring them up. We are to train them up. It is part of the upward call of Christ. So when you're dealing with your kids, ask yourself that question. Am I exhorting them? Am I up close and personal? Am I like have the kind of proximity and friendship and relationship and um interest in them and care and and, uh, investment in them that I know what's going on in their life enough that I can call them up and uh, do it in a way that's honoring to them, but challenging to them. Um, So we're we're called to exhort. Um, Okay, before we move into the second half of the class, uh, I want to do some reflecting, okay? So right there on your, your page, I have those areas listed that we just talked about. And you can kind of do your own scale, like a one to five or one to 10, one being like, I really suck in this area and 10 being like, I'm doing great in this area. Uh, but how are you doing in these areas? One to 10, rate yourself. What areas are you strongest in as a parent? Where do you want to get stronger? Where do you want to grow as a parent? And then if you have anything else, just like write um, one thing the Holy Spirit is stirring in your heart about each of these areas, about admonition, about exhortation, about nurturing. Like what's he saying to you? I'm going to give you like 45 seconds. All right, five seconds, four, three, two, one. Okay, we're moving on to part two. I got to book it. Like I have so much to cover in 30 minutes. Um, I was like, Courtney, how am I going to fill 90 minutes? And now it's like, oh my gosh, I need more than 90 minutes. Okay, um, before we start, we can take a little intermission and I'm going to show you a video of Bo when she was like two and a half or three. She's 10 now. Um, before we get into the practical side of like, how do we make our homes a place where Jesus is at the center of all that we're doing? Okay, so here's a here's your little intermission video. Once upon a time, there was no end dog and all the animals, but it went and a giant came, a big giant. What was his name? What's his name? Uh, I don't know. What's the, what's the giant's name? I don't know. 
Did he fight David? Yeah. What's his name? Goliath was on Noah's Ark. He was not. Yes, he did. <laughs> no, he wasn't. Yes, he did. Goliath was not on Noah's Ark. Yes, he did. How did David kill Goliath? Because he was bigger than God. Who was bigger than God? Goliath. No, that's wrong. God's bigger than Goliath. Yeah. God's bigger than Goliath. So how did David beat Goliath? Because he wants what God. Because he loves God? Yeah. What did he use to kill him with? A sword. No. A stone sword. It's a stone shot. Yeah, a stone shot. And a rock hit him. Where did it hit him? At, at the head. At the head. And then what happened? He, 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 he God. You love God. And Goliath. No, Goliath died. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, so... Her theology was a little bit off there, um, but you see that um, even though she's off on so many things, that she's celebrating, he loves God. Like, that is worth celebrating to her. She doesn't understand the whole concept, but she does know that when we love God, like, that's exciting. Like, he loved God. And it's because we've been teaching her that since she was little bitty, that loving God is the best and him loving us is the best. Um, I have another video of Gus. I was gonna show it and then I was like, I can't just show all of my favorite home videos, but it's Gus, he's three and he's in these Batman pajamas and he is so into DC Super Friends at this point in his life. He just dreams about it. He has books, he has toys, like he loves Batman, loves Superman. And he's telling me on this video about how he wants to, he's gonna punch Joker in the face. And he's like, I'm the dark knight and I'm gonna punch Joker in the face. And then he has this little moment without, like I'm not talking to him, I'm not asking questions, I'm not prompting him. He says, well, maybe we could ask Jesus into the Joker's heart. And so <laughs> he has this moment where Jesus and salvation are on his mind, <laughs> even in his little DC super friend world. Um, now, I'm, I'm not trying to paint the picture as I go through these things. Like I, like I talked about earlier, in no way is a blunt family perfect. My kids fight. My kids argue. My kids disobey. Josh and I get it wrong a lot. Um, we're not just always at our house, just gathered around the Word of God. Josh with the guitar. He doesn't even own a guitar. Like <laughs> singing around the fire, praise and worship. And this is all we do. Um, I, I'm not trying to paint that picture. Um, my kids have a lot of scripture memorized, but they also like have Lucy in the Sky with Diamonds memorized and Sonny can every Hamilton song and every West Side Story song. Um, so I'm not advocating or, or trying to, to to present this life where like it's, it, we just are always around the word of God. We don't have any fun. Like we have fun. We, we, we do Mario Party and we love Disney and um, songs and music and we don't listen to K-Love. I mean, we love praise and worship, but we teach our kids about Beach Boys and music and Beatles and um, everything. Uh, so I I'm not advocating uh, for a life that is just like, we're just at home 
thinking about Jesus all the time. I'm thinking about um, where we have fun, but all the fun, all the joy, all the wonder, it all points back to Jesus. Like if we are listening to a song and it's just one of those moving songs where we're like, this is amazing. It's like, hey, God created this instrument. He created chords. He created like how these brothers can harmonize. Like that's a gift from God that God gave them. They may even not even recognize that it's from God, but that is a gift from God. So we're pointing everything back to Jesus, but we're not just sitting around doing Bible studies all the time. In fact, like we don't do a family Bible study. So I'm not, I'm not trying to paint that picture. Um, but at Locke's conference, I, I did the outline of practicing the way of Jesus is three things. It's enjoying being with Jesus. It is apprenticing under Jesus, and it is walking like Jesus walked. So we're going to take these last 30 minutes, and we're going to talk about those three areas and how we can practically do this with our kids from ages zero to 16. Um, so the first one is enjoy being with Jesus. Uh, we need to teach our kids that time spent with Jesus is better than time spent anywhere else. Uh, better is one day in his courts than a thousand elsewhere. David said, the one thing I ask, the one thing I seek is to dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. So we want our kids to have this understanding that time spent with Jesus is the best way to spend our time enjoying Jesus because Jesus is good and he loves us and he wants to help us and encourage us and be with us. Um, so as parents, we understand that quiet time is a really important way for us to enjoy being with Jesus. Like enjoying being with Jesus 101 is spending time with him every day in his word, unrushed, unhurried time in the word, praying, worshiping. Um, it's like Pastor Josh talked about the other day in the message about the good shepherd where there's this irresistible place of rest and, and uh, green pastures and still waters that God is inviting us to every day. And this is where we enjoy being with Jesus. It's my favorite part of every day. I uh, don't miss it. I love it. I love my quiet time. It is literally every day my favorite part of the day. Espresso, Bible, being transformed, journal, um, prayer time. Like it, it's just, I don't miss it. I love it. Um, I actually did miss it the other day. This fluke thing, my alarm didn't go off. Usually Josh's goes off about 10 minutes after mine. His didn't go off either. It was a school day. We're oversleeping. I wake up to Bo like putting her cold hand on my foot and saying, mom, what are you doing? We got to go to school. And like <laughs> I shoot out of bed and then I go into the kitchen. She's like, sorry for the rude wake up call. I was like, yeah, uh, but I didn't get to have that time. And I found myself taking the kids to school and feeling just like bad about it and guilty, even though like I, it wasn't intentional, but I was just like, man, I miss my quiet time. And I just was down on myself and the whole day is going to be messed up because I didn't get to have my quiet time. And I just like could sense the presence of God coming in that car and his voice beginning to speak louder than the voice of the enemy and saying, hey, <laughs> uh, while you were sleeping, I enjoyed you sleeping as much as I enjoy when you're up with your coffee, reading your Bible. Like I just love you and I just enjoy you. And it's just this reminder of God's unconditional love. And so when I talk about quiet time, it's important that our kids know that when we are teaching them to read their Bible and stuff, it is not to get God to love them more. It is because he can't. Like there's nothing that they can do to that, that God would love them less. And there's nothing that they can do that would make God love them more because God's love for them is perfect. And so I didn't understand that as a kid. And I was works-based and I was like, I'm going to read this Bible plan. I'm going to mark every box because I want to be God's favorite. And I want to be the best little prim in my missionettes class. Like that's what I was all about. Um, but I didn't understand that 
reading my Bible was not to get God to love me more. It was so that I would get to know him and love him more. And so we need to to make sure our kids understand this um, because if they do, it will keep them from turning this irresistible and enjoyable time with God into something that is um, a legalistic and obligated time with God. Okay, so we're going to help them with their quiet time. I also talked at Blocks about um, how quiet time is good, but so often it's like, okay, had my quiet time, and then we exclude God from our thoughts the rest of the day. Like he's out of sight, out of mind, not thinking about him. Um, And it's kind of hard to enjoy being with Jesus if you're not aware that Jesus is so with you. He's ever-present in every moment. And so this is another major factor in our enjoying uh, Jesus. And so we're going to talk about these things, quiet time, every moment, holy time, what this looks like with our kids. And we're kind of going to go age age group by age group. So I'm going to give you a few ideas, super practical. And then if you have some of your own, add some of your own. Okay, so zero to two, enjoying being with Jesus. Yes, zero to two years old. Um, here the thing is building quiet time or it's not really quiet when they're zero to two. So I called it Bible time. Um, building Bible time into their daily routine. Babies thrive on routine. They thrive on security or it makes them feel secure. It makes them feel comfort. They thrive, thrive, thrive on routine. You probably, if you have little ones, you're already doing certain things that are routine and you're not even really thinking about their routine, but they are. Bath time every night at the same time, that's a routine. Um, nap time, uh, dinner time, What when you you wake up what their morning looks like that's a routine putting them in their car and taking them to daycare every day at the same time that's routine something that you do every day the same way around the same time so one of the easiest ways to introduce your little ones to bible time to getting them uh used to this concept of enjoying with Je- being with Jesus um, is to incorporate him into the routines that you already have in place so if you are um, doing car seat rides to daycare every day incorporate Jesus into that routine that's already in place. Uh, When Gus was this age, zero to two, there was this window between like uh, breakfast and his morning nap um, that we would do our Bible time together every day. So I would get out this little boppy, a light green boppy, and I would prop him up with his little like wobbly head. And I would, um, I actually brought these today. I found these and I told Josh, I was like, look at this. It just made me cry. Um, But I put him in his little boppy and I would get out this little picture of Jesus that some, my mom had this. She was a Sunday school teacher in the seventies. <laughs> and, um, this is what, for some reason she gave it to me she gave me a whole stack of these. And this is what I would show to Gus. And you can see all my kids used it and loved it. And I should have laminated it, but I got this out today. I was like, I need to frame this because it's so precious. But I would show him this little picture of Jesus. And I'd say, Jesus loves me. This I know. I talked to him about Jesus. Jesus loves you. And when he was tiny, again, he's little bitty, but I'm telling you, like Muslims do this with their children. And this, we're talking about Jesus here. So like I'm introducing him to Jesus, the savior, the hope of the world. Um, And so I talked to him about Jesus, show him a little picture about Jesus. Uh, And then when he got old enough to hold something, I'd put a little Bible in his hands. We have these little stickers of Jesus. And I would put a picture of Jesus in there and talk about how we find Jesus in the word and we love the word and the B-I-B-L-E. Yes, that's the book for me. We'd listen to praise and worship songs. We would, um, he had a little Fisher Price drum set, get the drum set out and he'd do his little shaker and drum on the drum. And we'd listen to little praise party. Yancey, Josh's dad has kids music. So we'd listen to Pawpaw sing Bible songs. Um, I had a mirror I would show him and say like, 
Jesus loves you. Jesus made you. Jesus made your little blue eyes and Jesus made your nose. And we would just have a little Bible time, Um, like 10 to 15 minutes each day. We had board books like this where we would, um, they have verses in them and I would just like show them a couple of pages and read a verse to them. This one teaches you the alphabet too. So I was all about that. Like, ah, J, point to the letters. I was using it like to teach him stuff like numbers and shapes and letters and animals, but also the word of God. Um, And uh, we would do this about 10 to 15 minutes each day. That was our routine. And it's awesome now because he's 13. And now he comes downstairs in the morning and he says, can I tell you what I got in my Bible? Can I show you what God showed me in my quiet time? It's just amazing to see him on the weekends he steals my quiet time spot and he gets in his in his Bible with his being transformed journal. He steals my puppy. And but I see him emulate me and emulate Josh. And it like he has this heart for God. And I know it's because of the incorruptible seed that we were planting when he was teeny tiny. Um, so maybe you work during the day and you're like, well, I'm not a stay-at-home mom. I can't do this. Um You can't do it during that window, of course, because you're at work, but you can still do it. And you can do it in the evening. You can turn bath time into Bible time. There's like waterproof Bibles. There's little things you can stick. There's all sorts of resources out there. So if Bible or bath time, something you do every night, turn that into your Bible time. There's like little songs. We used to do the song like, when I take a bath, I think about the Lord, how he washed away my sin. Let me tell you more. He washed my feet so I could walk and give a happy gospel talk. So there's all sorts of things out there. You could turn any moment into a moment where they're enjoying Jesus, or maybe it's before bed, rocking them in their rocking chair, reading them Bible, uh, Bible stories, uh, picture books, um, And I'm telling you, it's not a waste of time. If you will invest in them, um, invest in some good books. I love eBay for used books. Mardell's has great resources, Amazon. um, But pick up some things like a little mirror, a little bell. If you are like, I don't know these songs. I don't know Jesus Loves Me. I don't know B-I-B-L-E. One of the best ways you can learn is to join the New Song Kids team and start serving in kids and seeing things that we do. The way that I learned how to do this was serving in the nursery at Church on the Move when I was 13, and Miss Rhonda would come around, and she would do the lesson, and I would watch Miss Rhonda do the lesson as a 13-year-old, and it just stuck. I saw her do it so many times so that when I had Gus and I was like, hmm, I'm going to do what Miss Rhonda did with those babies. And so if you don't know what to do, come join the New Song Kids team. Um, And then let's talk about two to five years old, enjoying Jesus, enjoying being with Jesus. I love this age, like toddlers and preschoolers, like Bo epic. It's so fun. They don't have to be terrible. Don't believe it. They are epic. They are the best. Um, at this age, we still did Bible time with with uh, Gus, and now Bo's in the mix. So we're doing it with her. She's the one in the boppy, and now he's the one helping hold the pictures and sing the songs and, and lead the Bible time. Um, we're still reading Bibles at this age, but instead of like a really basic picture book, now we're starting to read Bibles like uh, this Jesus Storybook Bible. It's my absolute favorite. We give it away, child dedications, and then this one's really good too. I will follow Jesus. It's they're, when they're four, five, three years old, um, they can follow along with something instead of just this, the Daniel and the lion's den, David and Goliath and Noah and the ark stories. Um, so continue to to up, up their books, up their Bibles. Um, and now at this age, they're more verbal. They are starting to talk. So now that they're talking, why not teach them to memorize scripture and to put God's word in their mouth, to begin to pray and to begin to declare God's word. They have verses here at church that they're learning. 
You can see what they're doing in the table talk section of the app in each kid's class. You can take that verse that they're learning and you can teach it to your kids at home. Hand motions, my kids still use hand motions. When Sunny learned Psalm 23, it was the whole, every word had like a little, I'm, I'm, or the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down. Like I can remember it because of the motions that she made up. So make it fun. Use hand motions. You can have doodles, drawings, little cards um, that you hold up for them to help them memorize the word of God. Uh, uh, Going back to the routine at this age, two to five, Gus was going to preschool two days a week, and there was a 10-minute drive to preschool. Again, let's incorporate Jesus into these set things that we have in place. And Josh would take him to school, and Josh taught him, because dads, this is for you too. Josh taught him these scriptures, this this word declaration, and um, adding one scripture, he'd get that, then he'd add another scripture. And by the end of the year, I won't read it to you because I don't have time, but it was a very amazing confession from the Word of God that he could speak at three years old. And um, it's because kids are like sponges. And I'm telling you, if you were willing to diligently teach them anything, they will get it. So why not teach them the Word and to teach them to memorize the Word? Um, Six to ten. Uh, Now your kids obviously can talk and they're beginning to read. They can read. They're all at different levels, six to 10. Um, But this is the age when you start to invest in age-appropriate Bibles and devotionals that interest them so that they can begin to cultivate their own quiet time with the Lord. As they begin to read, you're going to be getting these papers home from school. When they start kindergarten, they need to read 20 minutes a day. But don't let that like mess up your routine and your Bible time. Like, yes, they can read their school reading, their fun books, their elephant and piggy, their Captain Underpants, their diary of a wimpy kid, but they also need to still be reading the word. So invest in books. Um, My kids love Tony Evans stuff. Um, That's a Minecraft Bible that uh, when Gus was super into Minecraft, he'd be embarrassed if I knew I was, I was telling you that now, but when he was little, he wasn't, he enjoyed Minecraft and, uh, that Bible, he loved it. He knew so many awesome old Testament stories. He was teaching me because he got so into that. The armor of God, Tony Evans has power of words, armor of God. These are great for that six to 10 age group. Sunny was pumped because I put a picture of her reading one of these or something. And I tagged Tony Evans and then she was on Tony Evans story. And my little eight-year-old was like, I'm on Tony Evans. She loves Tony Evans, which is awesome. He's like 70, 80-year-old guy. She just loves him. Um, These devotionals for girls where they can write and doodle. And uh, this one Bo loves because she's very artistic. She doesn't like to read uh, a lot. She likes a lot of change. So something like know your kids, know what they like. This one is really good. The Dig is where they're – this is probably around – nine, 10 years old, eight years old, where they actually like, they're answering questions. They're not just reading, but it's like, okay, what does this mean to you when it says this? And uh, really making sure that they're getting, so those are some great recommendations. I'll leave them on the table after the class is over. And then I meant to say this too, who has a two or five, two to five-year-old in this class? Okay. Let's see who's two to five-year-old's birthday's next. February. Any birthdays before February? Yay. Okay. Well, I'm going to give this. They didn't have this when I was raising two to five-year-olds, but this is by Jenny Allen. And if you have little ones, I recommend this. I looked through. It is amazing. The pictures, this is perfect for that two to five-year-old range. It takes taking them from the garden to um, 
to the resurrection, the story. It's like, it's, it's really, really, really precious. Um, so I wanted to just check it out to make sure I could recommend it. But since I don't need it, I was like, I'll give it away to somebody. So you can have this. Yeah, you can get it after the class. You're welcome. Um, but that's great for two to five-year-olds. Okay, so um, the kind of Bibles that are going to interest them um, continue to incorporate Jesus into their routines. Obviously, you're not helping them with bath time anymore at this age. Thank the Lord. Um, but like my girls love to bring their Echo Dot into the shower and they they love to find worship songs so they can continue to worship in the shower. They're going to take a shower every day. Enjoy Jesus in the shower. Like sing your heart out. Um, you can also begin to help them memorize large passages of scripture at this age instead of just one verse, like the whole Psalm 23, the entire Lord's Prayer. First Corinthians 13. The car is huge. The car is one of the best classrooms. So when you're in the car and at this age, six to 10, you're in the car with them, it seems like more than ever because sports and school and if you do pick up and drop off, you're going to be in the car a lot. So use that time in the car. That's when I teach my kids like to memorize these verses and stuff is in the car. Oh, I also have discipleship on the go for everybody, one per family. Um, these are memory verse cards that Josh and I created to help parents on the go instill the word into them. So pick one up before you leave. Um, 11 through 16. Okay, this is where we sit down with the kids and we really talk to them about taking ownership of their walk with God. Like mom and dad can't connect to God for you. We can't obey for you. We can't trust for you. We can't serve the Lord for you. You're going to have to take ownership of your walk with God. So we have that conversation with them. Um, some of my favorites for this age, again, uh, Tony Evans, he has a Bible and a commentary, uh, and Gus loves it. At this age, they're going to move away from those picture Bibles, and they're going to start reading, like, the Bible. Um, but I don't just want to give Gus, like, here's a new King James Version. Go for it. He's going to get confused and frustrated. Um, so uh, I got him the Tony Evans Bible. So there's scriptures, and then at the end, at the bottom, there's notes and um little nuggets for him. And he loves it. There's a, a life application Bible. That's the one Bo has. And it's for her age group. And it's it's not pictures, like a picture Bible, but there's bright stuff in it. There's the life application study Bible for girls is great for that age. So you're going to continue to to grow with them. What kind of Bible do they need? Um, at 11 to 16, one of the things that we tend to break away from is prayer with our kids. Like, I don't put Gus to bed anymore. Like I'm not tucking Gus in like I once was. And so when you lose that like tuck in thing as they get older, don't lose the praying with them before bed thing. Because like right now, when I go to pray with like Sunny who's eight, it's like, can you pray that Ellis won't be, or our dog Frankie, that Frankie won't be scared on the way to school in the morning because he like shakes. I'm like, yeah, we'll pray. Like it's whatever. It's hard to, it's hard. It's like, if it matters to you, it matters to God, right? Um, but but when they're when they're when they're teenagers or when they're these t they have actual stuff that they need to pray about. So don't lose the the aspect of praying with them before bed, even though you're not tucking them in at night. Come up and say, "Hey," and you're getting ready to go to bed. What do you want? Let's let's pray. What do you want to pray about? Um, and then keep them in community, enjoying Jesus as a teen tween. It's about community. It's about them having friends who also enjoy Jesus that they can enjoy Jesus with. So. Every stage, every age, 
regular church attendance needs to be a thing, a part of that routine. And then once they hit Wednesday night, I'm the biggest advocate for New Song students. It is the best. It is the best students ministry anywhere ever. Pastor Jackson is the best ever. Um, it's so amazing. So get them to students so they can enjoy Jesus with community. That's huge. All right, number two. Okay, so here's your reflection. You're going to have to do it at home. <laughs> um, list out some established daily routines that you're already doing with your kids and how you can incorporate Jesus into those routines. Okay, do that for me tomorrow or when you get home tonight. Um, the second thing is apprentice under Jesus. We talked about this at Blocks. It is when we are learning from Jesus to live our life as he would live our life if he were me. Not necessarily learning to do everything he did, but learning how to do everything I do in the manner that he did all that he did. So we're learning from Jesus how to live our life. So we, we want to train our kids to apprentice under Jesus, for them to see Jesus not just as Lord and Savior, but also teacher, like the best teacher anywhere ever that will help them with anything that they ever come up against. Um, so we want them to see Jesus like that. I, didn't, I never thought about Jesus as my teacher as a, as a kid. I never looked at him that way. And so I'm trying to teach my kids to see Jesus um, like that. Who he is, we need to teach them who he is, who what he's really like, his personality, his nature, what was most important to him, how did he pray, how did he treat people, how did he deal with heartbreak, how did he lead. And we can begin to do this at the earliest ages. Like, let's look at the life of Jesus. A two-year-old won't take a nap, right? Show them a picture of Jesus in the boat napping. Jesus is the best teacher. Jesus knows the way to live our lives. Look at Jesus. He's laying down and he's taking a nap. We need to take naps. Rest is good for us. Jesus said rest is good. So we're going to lay down and take a nap because we are called to follow the leader and our leader is Jesus. And we want to do what Jesus did. So we're going to take a nap. Seven-year-old is obeying. Show them Jesus in the temple or disobeying. Show them Jesus in the temple, obeying his parents. Like that's what this looks like. Jesus is a teacher and he shows us and models for us that we obey our parents. Um, when your 10-year-old is picked last or left out, show them how the religious leaders chose Barabbas or Barabbas, Bar whatever. They chose him over Jesus. Like the, Jesus was picked last, but he didn't lose heart. Show them how he completed his mission. Like Jesus didn't let the crowd move him, so we don't let the crowds move us. 12-year-old doesn't want to help with chores. Show them how Jesus came to serve and not to be served. Everything, I'm telling you, we could keep pointing Jesus back to uh, or keep pointing our kids back to Jesus, the teacher, the master teacher. And studies show that they need to see this, this character modeled. So they need to see it in you if you want to see true transformation. And they need to be able to see it, visualize Jesus doing the, those things, which is why picture books are important when they're little. And when they get older, as you're talking to the, them through these things, ask them to see it. Like, close your eyes and see Jesus doing this. This is what we're called to do. Um, when we live this way, we help them with group identity, which is something that kids crave, especially 12 and up. It's not only like when they're little, it's like, who am I? But when they turn 12, it's like, who am I and who are my people and how do my people act? And I want to act like my people act. The right side of the brain, like every one sixth of a second is trying to process uh who am I and how do my people act in this situation? And so as parents, we get to help create that group identity in our homes. And we can do it by following the life of Jesus and coming up with some core identity statements that are going to be key for our kids um, 
so your kids don't have to wonder, like, who are the blunts? This is who we are. We're a people who practice the, Jesus, the way of Jesus. The blunts forgive quickly. We walk in love. The blunts take God's commands seriously. We seek God's kingdom first. The blunts work hard and we Sabbath well. We trust even when we don't understand. So come up with some identity statements based on the teachings of Jesus and the life of Jesus that you can begin to uh, begin to communicate to make the vision plain for your kids so that they're not having to search like, what do I do? What do I act? How do I act in this situation? They know because we're making it plain for them. And then what's great about this is when they have an identity crisis and they're not doing this, then you can come back to them and say, this isn't who we are. You're holding a grudge and we forgive quickly. Blunts forgive quickly. This is not who you are. You're having an identity crisis. We're going to point you back and we're going to get you back on the path that God has for you. It has come in handy so many times. Like the quickest way for my kids to get back is when they start to hear the we. Hey, we're blunts. Blunts do not do this. We do this, okay? So come up with some of those statements based on scripture. And I want you to try to think of five identity statements um, as you leave tonight that you can start to speak over your kids to help them find that identity. Um, And then lastly, we walk as Jesus walked. We talked about this at Blocks. We can try to run a marathon. You can try to get up on a sunny day and I'm gonna run a marathon today. But if you haven't been trying and, or if you haven't been training regularly, you're going to die or you're going to um, quit. You're going to give up. And that's where we see a lot of Christians as pastors. We see people just trying, 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 failing, trying, failing, trying, failing. Uh, but what we need to be doing is training regularly, like training regularly, practicing spiritual disciplines like we talked about earlier, these activities that we undertake that position us to receive more of God's life and more of God's power and His Spirit. So a lot of times parents are expecting our kids to be able to obey, to honor, to respect, to do these things based on one rep a week at church. Like if I just take them to church one rep a week, they're going to be able to do this marathon called life. And they're going to be able to do it the way that we want them to. But that's not, that's not, Uh, training. That's good. They're going to pack as much into that rep. I know our team, they're going to pack as much into that one rep a week as possible, but we need to help our kids um, and position them so that they can begin to practice spiritual disciplines so that they don't get frustrated. Like it's frustrating for them when we give them this idea of like loving their sister and then they just can't do it over and over again. And they're not going to be able to, they don't have it in them. Um, So we've got to position them to, to practice spiritual disciplines. Um, And I'll close with this idea, okay? So we help our kids establish unspiritual disciplines all the time. Like think about the discipline of brushing teeth, like how much effort we go to in order to get our kids to brush their teeth. They need to undertake this discipline of brushing their teeth because if they don't, then um, just if they do nothing, they're not going to have good dental hygiene, right? So we know this discipline is important. So what do we do? We get apps and there's timers on those apps and there's songs on the apps and we buy little stools that help them to be tall enough to spit in the sink and we buy toothbrushes that have their favorite characters on them and we get kid flavored toothpaste and we do all the things. My kids got toothbrushes for Christmas that have like a two minute timer. They're electric and they buzz every 30 seconds. So they know like to move from this quadrant to this quadrant. Um, So we do all of this, all of this for brushing teeth. But what if we invested the same amount of energy into spiritual disciplines 
There's Bible apps, there's kid-friendly Bibles, there's consistent schedules like making sure they brush your teeth morning and night, making sure they're, they're, they're spending time with God morning and night, um, covering all the quadrants, spiritual tech checkups, just like dental checkups, because spiritual disciplines work the same way that everyday normal disciplines work. Um, there are activities undertaken that make us capable of doing what we couldn't do on our own. Dental hygiene without the discipline of brushing teeth is not possible. Your kids obeying and honoring and loving their neighbor, it's not possible without them engaging in spiritual disciplines. And you have to help them, just like you have to help them with the discipline of brushing their teeth. No little kid just like, I'm going to practice hygiene. My kids would never brush their teeth if I did not help them with this. So we got to position them to receive more of God's life and power by helping them undertake activities that open them up to more and more of God so they can actually walk as Jesus walked, so they can do the things that they see Jesus doing. Um, So I've got five disciplines listed in your notes, and I think I put the definitions so you can go home and study them. Um, There's tons of spiritual discipline. There's no like conclusive list of these are every spiritual discipline, Um, but these are the five that I thought are most important to help our kids with. Prayer, Bible reading, serving, And your two-year-olds can serve. They can help pick toys up and you can let them know you're serving mama. Thank you for serving mama. Thank you for serving dad. They can draw pictures for their teachers when they're not sick. Like there's ways that you can help them with the discipline of serving, of not thinking about themselves only. Um, Fellowship, that's church, that's equip, that's block conference, that's small group, and then submission. This is doing what others think best, their coach, their teacher's their parents, doing what others think is best. That definition, did I put the definitions, Rachel? Okay. Um, so what I want you to do is, as you as we close, jot down, not tonight, when you get home, how are you doing in these five disciplines, in these spiritual disciplines? What does that look like in your life? And then write down some ideas of how you can help your kids practice these disciplines, the same as you would think through ideas that would help them brush their teeth or potty train or learn to read or write. Um, How can you help them practice these disciplines? Um, I know this is a lot, and I had so much more, but I just ran out of time. Um, But I want you to to leave here motivated, and and the temptation is going to be, okay, I'm going to start all this when I have like this like mapped out plan. If you're like a planner, I need to like plan. I need to go shopping. I, I'm and But if you wait till like everything lines up, you'll never do it. So here's my encouragement to you. Just start tomorrow. What can you do tomorrow that you're, you weren't doing today? Like maybe it's that ride to daycare where you're going to speak God's word with your kids or you're going to try to teach them a verse. Like what's one thing you can do tomorrow that you're not doing today that we talked about that God's stirring up in your heart. Maybe it's praying with your tween that you haven't prayed with in a while. Maybe it's hitting up Amazon for those Bible bath toys, um, starting a conversation on the way to school tomorrow about like, hey, what's God been speaking to you lately at church or as you read your Bible or whatever. So what's one thing? Just start tomorrow. And I promise as you start, as you make the decision, like I want to diligently train my kids that God will give you more and more ideas, more and more revelation, and things will just begin to flow. And also, if you're in here and you're like, well, my kid's 10 and I've never done any of this stuff, so it's too late. It's not true. Just start wherever they're at, whatever age your kid is at, start Like if they're 10 and they didn't do this when they were zero, it doesn't mean they can't do this when they're 10, okay? So wherever they're at, wherever you're at, just go for it because this is what God has called you to do. It's the most important thing you can do. 
Thanks for listening to this week's message from New Song Church. If you have a prayer need or would like more information about New Song, you can email info at newsongpeople.com. If you would like to partner with New Song through giving, go to www.newsongpeople.com forward slash give. And if you want to stay connected to New Song, you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter by searching for New Song People.